Apple's been chatting to developers, BBC dramas are up for awards, Stargate is getting a remake, and Alex and Sarah refuse to acknowledge the importance of Elite. Let's do the airwaves. From the buttery, smooth scrolling and comedy hijinks of the WWDC livestream to the rambling musings of the airwaves, the podcast that spends its time talking about movies, TV, streaming media, games and anything else we feel like talking about. Joining me this week, her first time on the podcast, clicking away on her keyboard in the background. Sorry. Sarah, Sarah Gray, how the <laughs> hell are you doing? Hello. Are you all right? Hello, hello from, I would say, Sunny Island, but it's it's it has been sunny today. It's a public holiday here today. Did you know that? Is it what in Ireland? Yes, it is. Oh, really? Do you know it's, what? Um, so I haven't been working today. No, oh. um, I've actually been at a fundraiser for the local hospital. Well, that sounds like a good time. It you was. Know, actually. It's your first time on on this this version of the show, and and you've Indeed. started it off exactly exactly as you should by talking about the weather. <laughs> it's how it's how we seem to start every single episode, and the the weather the weather around me it is it has turned into a very very nice afternoon in uh, in Royal Wharton Bassett. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Next up, I know it's well. Yes, it's a lovely little town. Next it up, is gorgeous. Tony Blunt, how's things, sir? Not bad, not bad. Uh, ramblings. That sounds like an improvement on our other shows. What if not? <laughs> to start with, I use rambling ramblings in its most positive sense. <laughs> Exactly. It's enjoy. It's enjoying ramblings, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just mm. random chit chat. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Last but not least, Alex G. Fox. How the Good devil evening. are you, sir? I'm okay, and the weather here is wonderful. Something like that. I was about to burst into song, and I completely lost track of what I was going to say. You know what? We, we must be more exclusive than the Apple WWWF or whatever they call themselves, mm. because. They're having to stream theirs live to get people to watch. We still are so exclusive that we do this privately and we only let people have it when we're ready. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we've got loads of people trying to hack our stream <laughs> and broadcast it. You know, they're like tweeting word for word verbatim what we're saying. But, you know, I mean, those Apple guys, you know, they had it. They've lost it. It's our time now. Well, speaking of WWDC... And that, oh, is that uh, what it's called? That right. their live stream, yes, the Worldwide Developers Conference. Um, it's not. It's not wrestling then. It's not. It's not. Alex, are no, you, are I, you, I had an image of Tim Cook with a chair then, and you know. oh, oh, that'd be interesting. Yes, that'd be interesting. So, Alex, are you looking forward to controlling your Philips, your expensive Philips lights with your iPhone? No, that's the butler's job. Is it? All oh, right. Yeah. Well, are you looking forward to the semi-translucent window bars on the uh, on the new? Oh, you know what? I was watching it. What were they calling it? Were they calling it's it material? They were. They oh, were the material. The I just like sitting there going, "You pretentious beep material! What you've invented translucence now? Have you? It looks nice. And we have reinvented translucency. Yeah, Shame they didn't have a watch because they could have reinvented time as oh, well. Oh, they want a watch. Eye time. Yeah, brilliant. Yes. 
I mean, I just it's, it's never going to be as good as Hammer Time. Hammer Time, no. Now, Sarah, you're, we all know you're a, you're a, you're a diehard Apple fangirl. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> anything about WWDC? The announcement that has piqued your interest at all? Nope. Nope. Okay. Tone? As you cynically said about <laughs> moving, you know, getting excited about an icon moving slightly further to the left. That, that's pretty much how <laughs> it. It's just a matter of yeah. a load of hype. Yeah. All, all, all I kept see, all I've seen in the sort of quick look I had at Twitter was, oh, oh, they're copying something from Android and then they're sleeting Android. Yeah, it was quite funny. Actually. <laughs> I mean, it's like, a, yeah, okay um, then. I was um, uptake on Mavericks was fifty one percent, and uptake on uh, uh, Windows eight was I think fourteen percent. And I just they were all getting rather excited, some people on Twitter, and I did point out that fifty one percent of Mavericks is a drop in the ocean compared to fourteen percent of Windows eight. You know, they didn't come back to me. You know what? There was a couple of things worth mentioning and they're not necessarily media based, but from my point of view, the only thing that mattered is they finally seem to have put right the one good thing that mobile me did and they destroyed when they made iCloud. <laughs> mobile me had, you could send large files via mobile me and someone could get a direct download link. Yeah. I have to pay a hundred pounds subscription to a company every year. So I've got that facility again. They have now brought it back and everyone's whooping and hollering. And I'm thinking that's so amazing. You've brought back something that you broke. Well done. <laughs> but let's get off of this. Let's talk about what really matters in the world. Indeed, that is BBC Dramas up for 14 Critics' Choice Awards in the US. Sherlock Luther and An Adventure in Time and Space are among the BBC Dramas to be nominated for Critics' Choice Television Awards in the US. Sherlock, His Last Vow is up for four prizes with stars Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman nominated for their performances Sherlock and Dr. Watson. The Good Wife, Big Bang Theory, Fargo, Masters of Sex and The Normal Heart led the nominations with five apiece. The Best TV Movie category features British dramas Burton and Taylor, Sherlock, and An Adventure in Time and Space about the making of Doctor Who. David Bradley, who played the first Doctor, William Hartnell, is in the running for Best Actor in a Movie or Miniseries alongside the BBC's Dancing on the Edge star Chiwetel Ejiofor and Mark Ruffalo from HBO's The Normal Heart. Now, this is um, uh, David Bradley. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that Adventures mm. in Time and Space thing, That's 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 a... That's been a popular yeah. thing, hasn't it? Yeah, I've, I've said it before. I thought it was the best thing about that whole 50th anniversary, mm. you know, set of programs that they did. Yeah, um, I don't particularly understand why that particular episode of um, Sherlock was nominated because I would, I think, I think, I think the Empty Hearse was much better. Yeah, the um, and it was also a lot more hyped because, of course, it was how Sherlock survived the fall from the roof of yeah, Bart's. Yeah, yeah. and I, I would have yeah, thought I, that I would have been more likely to be nominated. That yeah, because this was the middle one, wasn't it? His last bow was the middle one of the three, wasn't it? No, it was the last it one. Was the last it was, one. was, it? It was oh, the one right. about oh. Charles Augustus Milberton, based on Charles oh. Augustus Milberton about a blackmailer. Although mm. it was obviously slightly here uh, taken in a slightly different context, but then that's mm. that's what Mark Gattis and and um, I've forgotten his name, <laughs> Stephen, actually Moffat, do so Stephen well. Moffat, yeah. Thank you. I couldn't remember his surname. Um, I thought that yes. was the weakest one, actually. <laughs> Uh, I think the weakest one was the um, the wedding one, wasn't it? The one in the middle. Yeah, that, I mean, that had that had some interesting moments. I quite like 
I do like it when you get those moments and they let you see into the idea of Sherlock's mind with tweets and various little, um, uh, you know, bubbles pick, popping up on the screen with thoughts. You know, I mm. quite like that type of thing. That they, they did that they, especially well in the first series. Yeah, they did. I, I loved that when they, he was thinking about directions in his head. And that was yeah. brilliantly done. Yeah, that actually, um, it, it, it was. A, I think it was a good modern way to show because it, it essentially is exactly the same as what the original Sherlock Holmes used to do. He, he you know, he knew London like the back of his hand, yeah, quite, the yeah. streets off, going through a handsome cab, and knew exactly where he was going. Um, and it's a good. It was a good way to actually demonstrate that to people who don't know what Sherlock Holmes was like. Sure, that the modern Sherlock is just the same, but actually in a way that people can actually understand it. But the strange thing, I mean, I found it strange. And uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, to let everyone know, both myself and uh, Sarah are Holmesian, if that's the right <laughs> word. Um, we're both fairly addicted. Yes. Homesian, depending on how you want to describe it. Homesian? Oh, dear. Yeah. I'm not sure how that relates to me. Schlockian is the main thing, I think. Schlockian, that sounds very Jewish. Um <laughs> Right, but the thing is, the Charles Augustus Milverton, what was it, Master Blackmailer, that mm. the uh, this his last vow was based on, I found it of all the... No, there's two Sherlock's home stories I don't like because they make me slightly uncomfortable. There's this one, and there's a Sussex vampire. Now, I don't know why. I think the Sussex vampire, because it involves a child, and I just... I don't know why it bothered me. Mm. And this one bothered me because of... <clears throat> they're more psychological than all the other things. You know, normally you get, you know, blood and guts and something horrible has happened and, you know, get on with the story. These two stories are ones that sort of get under your skin a bit. I think there's a um, few, like, there are a few like that, though, Alex. In yeah, the well, they're, they're the two, yeah, they're the two that sort of stick in my head. Mm. But of all the stories, when I realised they were doing the Master Blackmail, I, that was, I was like, oh, no. Because it's like, you know, you've got 50-odd stories that I really like. Mm. And then they pick that one, I go, oh, you know what, 50 to 1. And you have to yeah. pick the one. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's strange, but I can see why it appeals to people that aren't Holmesian or Sherlockian or whatever we're talking about, because of it, you, it's given them a villain, especially the way they did this episode, this version of it. It's given them a villain that works in the same mind space, which is funny enough, I think the word they're using it, as uh, Sherlock does himself. So it's it's the closest they could get to Moriarty without having a Moriarty again. Yeah. I think the thing is also is that in, in the Jeremy Brett series, they, they made a really big, they really bigged up that particular story. And yet in the, in the original stories, it's only a short story. Yeah, quiet. Yeah. Um, and it's both of them have done the same thing, which is quite interesting. I mean, the, you mentioned the title, the master back that was, that was created by Granada. Yeah, when they right. did the Jeremy Bet episode, that wasn't something but a title that particularly was used in the, 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 in the original story. Charles Augustus Milverton, or, I think that's what the original was called. It was called, yeah, it was just yeah. called Charles Augustus Milverton. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, but the, what they did wrong is, what made the first story, the original, um, better, I'd say, than this version, was the fact that there was a third party involved. It wasn't Holmes and Watson... Um, dealing with the f finale, if you like. It was a wronged person dealing with it. And then saying, you know what, we're not the police. You know, we've witnessed a crime. It's not up to us to solve it. If the police solve it, good luck to them. But we're yeah. not going to, you know. And that, 
that was the the conclusion of that made that story relevant. The conclusion they came up with took the whole relevance of the the original story out of it. And I think as a someone that likes Sherlock or the original stories especially, each story has a point and it, it almost has a moral point. And mm-hmm. that was one of the most uh, defining moral incidents in all of the canon. The fact that him and Watson mm-hmm. witnessed the murder and turned around and said, nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. Right? And that told you more about the characters than thousands of pages mm-hmm. previously. And to change that, the only thing they did, you know, Sherlock killed someone in this version. He gets on a plane, supposedly to go to his mm. death in Afghanistan after whatever he was. Oh, no, it was somewhere in the uh, Eastern Europe. I can't remember now. And he, and he gets his, um, you know, he almost gets a royal pardon and they bring the plane back and drop mm. him off again. You know, that's Only because they think Moriarty's coming back. Yeah, yeah. but that, the See, point that, that, is the moral of the story is completely yeah. lost. In fact, it's not only lost... Yeah. They've doubly overlaid on top uh, the morals being twice as bad, if you like. So not only is a murderer, he's going to get away with it. Whereas before, he was judge, jury, but not executioner. And it's 100% turn. And then layering some more rubbish on top of it. And, you know, it's completely off topic of what the story was about. But it's quite an interesting chat anyway. I think that, to me, is why it's the weakest story. And But I don't think this series was that good. No, in general. it was the first. Go on, Russ. Sorry, sorry. It wasn't. It wasn't the strongest one of the lot. Uh, I still think the first series is the is the strongest because because of the, of the entrance the series makes. Yeah, the first episode was the best. Still, my favourite study in pink. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. It was. Uh, I mean, it's quite strange because, as, as Alex says, I'm a um, I'm an aficionado, and um, it took me a while to. Uh, you know, to, when I was watching the first one the first time, I thought, I'm "Not sure I like this." Um, and then I thought, "No, come on, Sarah, just just drop it. Stop trying to continually compare stuff to the original canon." And that's what the Jeremy Brett stuff was about. That was exactly what it was supposed to do. And also the Radio Four series as well with Clive Merrison, mm-hmm. um, and they did them so well. But if you take if you take out take it take Sherlock Holmes and put him in a modern era, that's exactly the type of situation that you would exactly and it's brilliant but the studying pink i particularly like because one of the things i love doing when i watch these things like i'm sure alex does the same thing because you know the canon so well continually looking for clues from whether they've put where they've nicked an idea or a character from one of the stories and if you know everyone thinks studying pink based on studying scarlet yes the main storyline was but there's there's references and links to about five or six different stories in there, if That's you know the right. canon. And I love that part. It's fantastic. It's something for the fans. And I'm really glad that, 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 that Stephen and um, oh, fuck off. Mark. Mark, thank you. Um, they did that. They've done that so well. They've interwoven it into the original canon, links to the original canon in it. Brilliant. You know, I think you've, put, you've hit the nail on the head there. The reason why the second series and, and you know, consequently whatever else has happened hasn't worked so well is when it started you could see two Holmes fans honoring Sherlock Holmes by doing this and being really excited by the whole thing the longer it's gone on it seems like you've got two writers um, especially Mark Gatiss in fact that has 
is moving away from just the fandom, wanting to do his thing with it. Mm. And no, that's fine. But it's sort of now, okay, well, just don't call it Sherlock because now you're ruining something that was really special. Mm. It's not so much ruined, but they were, it started off as a homage to Conan Doyle. And now it's becoming a bandwagon for Sherlock. You know, and that's sort of why I I, I want it to, to no, I want it to succeed greatly, yeah. because I think it's very intelligent. I think it's very good, but I yeah. think they need to stop thinking about it as in how much further can we get from it and still keep it relevant. I think you want to go a bit back the other way. Like mm. I say, the first few episodes of the series were they were they were I was sitting there going, oh, that's so clever. I know yeah. where you got that from. But they, they, they gave you a clue from a completely different story, but they, they made it relevant to the thing you were watching, and you're like going, ah, oh, well done. You're almost clapping how clever they were with their writing. Yeah. But then it started, it started getting a bit funny with the Baskerville thing. And that was, this, I found that very disappointing, that story. Yeah, but it was like, where's the relevance? This is weird stuff. Mm. It was almost like um, X-Files. Yeah, that you know, one was, was like, very oh, X-Files-like. Yeah. Mm. What's this going on? And, you know, I mean, there's the characters, like, there's the Strad thing in this series, they've sort of forgotten about that a bit. That's yeah. intrinsic. Yeah, he's, he, he's um, uh, conspicuously anonymous <laughs> in, the, exactly. in, in this one. Steve... I'm just looking at the rest of this list now. So yeah, we well, I was just I was just going to move on to Tone, actually, because he's, he's tried to get in a couple of times. What, what's, Sorry, what's on What's on your mind, Tone? That is... I mean, with this, you know, like you say, with this series of Sherlock, it, we've only really seen, you know, like you were saying, just Lestrade. He was there as a sort of side character, even in that first episode, you know, the empty hearse. You know, mm. he, he wasn't there where, you know, like in the, you know, in the other series where he just turns up in Baskervilles. You know, he just have, claims to be on holiday and thinks. Yeah, you know what? He's actually part of the story. The weird thing, and that's what they did in here. They've lifted bits out of some of the Basil Rathbone movies, which had nothing to do with Holmes. You know, they were Sherlock, but they were, you know, they were pretty yeah, far-fetched from Sherlock. Yeah. Well, they were PR things for the war, really. They yes, weren't exactly. really stories. I never particularly liked the stories in those. Apart no, from his last, Apart from um, his last bow, which was the East Wind, Carl and Watson, which they did brilliantly. Yeah, that was a beautiful sentence, wasn't it? But that was things like, you know, when, um, well, I can't think of what the film was called, but it was when they were taking the uh, the ruby or diamond on the train to Glasgow, and, uh, you know, that was one of the Basil Rathbone films. Mm. But um, Lestrade was pretending he wasn't there on the train for any other reason than he was going fishing in Scotland, you know? And it was that, mm. I was thinking, oh, now you're lifting stories from Basil Rathbone films. Mm. <laughs> you know, I was saying, oh, come on, there's, there's plenty of good stuff. You don't need to go to lift stories from a bad copy of a bad copy. You know, it, it was. it's like, you know, you've got the master, let's not... It's almost like, uh, you know, in, in the old days when you used to get a video of a guy in the pub and, you know, it was like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy and <laughs> you could vaguely make out what was in the background through the white noise. So, The Good Wife, I never saw it, but I heard great things. I've heard very good things about The Good Wife. Fargo, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I've spoken about Fargo. That's the series, though. Yes, exactly. We're looking at this. I mean, Tone, you like the series. Yeah, I've, I've, I have seen much more favourable reviews of the series in general. I'll be honest, you know, from even from people who who did say, you know, like Alex, you know, oh, the film I couldn't really get into, but the series it, it's taken a weirder 
even weirder turn in some ways. But yeah. I, I do think we... I don't know if, say, a couple of years ago, we were on a real high with all these things. I mean, because you can look at the list and you can say, oh, look, Doctor Who and various other things. I don't know if we were at such a peak that we're doing the natural falling off a bit because there's only so many peaks you can hit and stay at the top. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe this year is a case of... I mean, if you look at through this list, the only thing like that, that Doctor Who special, which was about you know the making, the original making of Doctor Who, it was very good. But for most of us Brits, we're emotionally attached to that part of the storyline, more so mm. than the new characters and the new Doctors and this, that, and the other. So, but you know, I'm looking through this list and I think, yeah, they were good, but they weren't the great that we had say the year before. And I think that's that's just a natural way it's going to go. You know, I, I think we we're going to sort of import a bit of an Americanism, an American Americana, if you like, for a couple of years, which sort of gives us the breather. I mean, silly, right? But I watched the last series of Downton Abbey, for instance, as it came out, and I'd never seen it before. You know, as it came out, I mean, as you know, I, I'd never watched it. I watched it. I think it was Netflix, and I thought, you know what, this is really good. So I watched three series of Downton Abbey or whatever it was, and I really enjoyed it. But mm. when I watched the last series as it was. Um, it it gone. And no, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't as good. Mm. And I just think we had such a peak a couple of years ago that we're all sliding down the bed, and that's going to happen. And yeah. it probably needs to happen. It's the way to sort of sort the wheat from the trap. The trouble it's is, the say in America, curve of the way yeah. things go, isn't it? Really, but in American TV, we find that you know, in in British TV, there's a natural curve. If it starts dying off. They sort of slowly kill it, and then we move on to something. American TV, it's like, no, we're going to do another 478 episodes of this. Yeah, we'll absolutely we'll, beat it to death. We'll, yeah, we'll beat it to death, and then yeah. then we'll we'll kill it 20 years after it should have been killed. And Throw I'm its sort of dried-out husk into the it, it, it tends to be, I think with Americans, uh, particularly sitcoms, it tends to be that if it gets through the first season, then they do tend to go with it for quite a long time. It's a bit like a, a medieval birth, isn't it? If your child makes it to six months, you've got a chance. <laughs> oh yes. dear! Well, it it only go it only goes to show that that we are in a bit of a bit of a renaissance when it comes to when it comes to television. We've got some great stuff coming out of both the UK and the US, really, isn't it? It's yeah. been good. I just, yeah, I just think good. I think that's why places like Netflix and Amazon they're going to have their time now because they're hitting the right part of the curve and they're also hitting it in the way that we want we want to be able to say i don't know orange's new black is out a couple of days isn't it and then we will go all oh, right i can go and watch 50 hours of telly over the next month if i choose to do that or however long it is i don't know it's probably nowhere near that and you know we have sort of it's like someone giving you instead of giving you a slice of cake it's like saying here you go here's the whole battenberg go for it <laughs> You know, and it's that sort of thing. And, you know, us as a society, that's how we are at the moment. Mm. And I, I think, I don't know if, if that's the competition problem that the TV networks are having, but I do think that the, I think we're leaning towards that, but not only in just, you know, the way it's delivered, I think we're leaning towards that in just the fact that it's almost like Netflix, Amazon, or have, they've got the energy of youth. You know, it's a new system, it's a new company, it's a new this and the other. And, you know, they've got that buzz, whereas the others are just sitting back a bit and going, okay, we're, we're getting on a bit. We just need a couple of years to relax and then we'll be back again. I think it is nice, though, Alex, that you were able to watch 
Downton Abbey on what is it? it's on ITV, isn't it? I think so. You yeah. were able to watch it, and then you thought, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch every single episode of that series that, that was on before. Brilliant. You go into net, you go on to Netflix, or if you want to subject yourself to that kind of thing, you go on to Amazon Instant Streaming Prime <laughs> Collection Delivery Service and go and watch it. Let us get into the movies. Roland Emmerich is rebooting Stargate with a new movie trilogy. This story from io9.com. It looks like Stargate is about to lose its status as one of the major movie franchises that have never been rebooted. Good heavens. Well, when you think about it like that, yeah. Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin are officially returning to the world of Stargate with a reimagined trilogy of films. According to Deadline, MGM and Warner Bros. have announced that Emmerich will be directing and Devlin will, will be producing the trio of films, which MGM's Gary Barr says will bring their reinvigorated vision of this wildly popular <laughs> this wildly popular property to audiences of multiple generations there's no word on what the focus of the new films will be or what direction they're taking with the reboot in Malcolm well, Tucker's um, in famous words they are going to go beyond delivery and beyond that well I'd imagine the um, the direction will be probably through the gate. Yeah. And the focus will probably be the gate. And from what I know about Stargate, the first few films should never have been made. Mm. My understanding of it was they were quite appalling. It was only when the new Star Wars came out that it put it in context. Well, I haven't seen... I haven't actually seen Stargate. It... Uh, I since, tried since, the original I tried. film since the yeah. original I haven't seen it since yeah. the original one came to television and that I think was back in the 90s wasn't it Tone yeah because that was like 94 I think it was in the cinema so yeah and and then they followed it up with uh, Mystery One um, and, and the weird thing is it's rebooting but it's only what last year the year before that they finished doing TV yeah. And they had sort of attempts to, you know, I think the last series got cancelled, you know, last spin-off, and then they said they were going to follow it, you know, finish that up with a film, and they didn't. This is my problem. This, this is my problem with this. Sorry, because it's, it's too soon to, you know. Yeah, they've just finished it. It's like it, it would have been like um, remaking Battlestar Galactica in I don't know, nineteen ninety. About two years yeah. after they did the last sort of special edition one. Or, 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 or rebooting the Hulk, you know, after... Oh, yeah. hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, what that. it is, they, they, they're getting so quick that they're actually going to do reboots before the original next. Yeah. yeah. Well, that would be the most efficient way of doing it, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah this is a remake a of something that hasn't been done yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Forgive it'll, my it'll, ignorance, guys. What is a what? What are we talking in terms of reboot here? We're not. We're not talking in terms. Are we talking in terms of a remake? It sounds yeah, like but, a, but it's by the original. It's by the original people as well. So that's that's the part that interested me. It's the original guys. They want to sort of redo it, sort of more the way they wanted to. Right. A reboot isn't necessarily though um, a copy, if you like. It's not another version. Quite often, you'll get a film. And someone will go, oh, there's a 1950s film. That was really good. We'll get modern actors to do more or less the same thing. Yeah. Whereas a reboot is someone comes along and goes, it was a good idea. We're going to take the premise and we're just going to go wherever we want with it. It's almost so like taking like, an idea. Like what Stephen and Mark have done with Doctor Who. Yeah, wouldn't well, no more. To be honest, I'd say it's more like Sherlock. I would it's say, yeah, because Doctor Who is a continuation. Doctor Who has never, never really been rebooted in the truest sense. Yeah, it's more like Sherlock, whereas they take an idea, a premise of Sherlock Holmes, and we know vaguely what uh -huh. he does, 
and then they go wherever they want with it. I think the new Doctor Who is since it came back is 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 way too wacky for my. It's just way too far out there. It is a bit, yeah. Well, you want to uh, you want to listen to uh, last week's episode of the Airways for our our critique on the modern. No, you don't want to listen to it. Modern, no, no, don't. don't in fact, no, it'll just upset you. Our um, <laughs> <laughs> take on the modern the modern Doctor Who, but the uh, the uh, the article does say this will be a reimagined tri- trilogy of films. Not is not necessarily a. I don't know, some kind of reboot, but perhaps the, the Stargate story told in a different way. Right. There's a star, there's a gate, and there's somewhere to go. And that's yeah. the friend. Let's go again. <laughs> so it's poetic yeah. license with the title, and that's about the only thing that stays the same. It could well be, yeah. yeah. You might find Godzilla coming through the other end, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> or the Titanic crashing yeah. through like in Doctor Who, which is just like, sorry, but that's just too far out there. <laughs> so yeah, that was that's a bit... Weird. That was slightly poo. But it did have Kylie Minogue on it, so there was a saving grace. I don't watch the I don't watch the new Doctor because I just find it too far out there. But every time I happen to glance at it, they're on Earth. Where did the hell did yeah. that come from? Mm. The original uh-huh. series of Doctor Who, they very rarely went back to Earth. Exactly, that's what sci-fi is all about. Surely, is you're on different planets and different, you know, civilizations or whatever. Why on earth would you spend? I mean, I can understand maybe an overlap in time in terms of having something there, but when you it's like it's, it's just. No, I just don't get it, you know. And I, th- I think I think something came up where they did sort of ratings of newer episodes, you know, of the Eccleston series, and the ones that actually weren't set on Earth got didn't get as good ratings. I don't know whether that factored into it. I would say that's probably because people haven't got the imagination. Oh, possibly. Mm. Possibly. You know, I mean, I, I, I agree that, you know, I think the stories in the original Doctor Who were great. But the sets obviously needed updating. <laughs> Cardboard sets. Is, I think everyone would say that. And the aliens made out of bubble wrap. <laughs> if they'd done the same sort of thing, but with um, with modern sets and modern ways of making things, I think it would have been great. Mm. Mm. Well, we need, need to reboot. It, do, it needs. It does need a reboot. Oh dear! It seems to be the answer for everything these days. Well. Let's continue on. 50 greatest movies of all time, from Star Wars to Alien to Skyfall. I looked at this list and I thought, I'm sorry, but this has been done by blokes. This story by the Mirror.co.uk. Mirror movie critic David Edwards strikes back against Empire Magazine, who voted the second Star Wars film the greatest movie of all time with a critique of the (sighs) list. So this uh, this is the Empire Magazine list. Uh, which has at the top of it uh, at the top uh, the empire strikes back now the, it, while the empire strikes back is very good it it's not the best film ever made no i mean this is i mean as sarah says it's by blokes but it's not only by blokes it's by blokes of a certain age you, you've it's got by so blokes of a certain fire. age and a certain colour. It's by blokes of a certain age and a certain colour that live in a certain area and have a certain financial income. Yeah, and, and it's a certain genre because there's so many films in there that are violent. Quiet. How many of those mm. films? You look at all those films, take out the sci-fi, that like Star Wars and... Which were Ra- fairly Raiders violent. And stuff like, you know, I mean, and, and Lord of the Rings. You know, I mean, I'm not a fan, but where's the Harry Potter film? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this. Uh, number 40, it's Wonderful Life, and it's almost like the pub landlord. And here's one for the girls. Well, you not know, only that, yeah. not only that, but looking at the films, it, this is one that was made before 1970. Apart from well, Casablanca, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, there's two for the girls. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think this is one of those lists that are put together by um, Citizen Kane, I suppose. I mean, Citizen Kane, I'd agree with. Um, yeah, but some, gum, some, yeah, 
Yeah, but a lot of them are Where, in here. Where's things for like intellectual snobbery? Oh yeah, I, you know, I've never seen Citizen Kane, but I've told it's like really important, so I'm going to put it in my list. It's that sort of thing. Where's um, things like the, the Great Escape? But you go back even further. I mean, let, I, I, well, I, I've only flicked through, right? But you find me a Hancock. A Hancock, I've done it again. You find me a Hitchcock. Yeah. You know, you tell me that no, there's not a single Hitchcock film. in Old Vertigo, there you go, we found one. Okay, yeah. number 43, right? Um, there you go. And even then, I wouldn't like, think of it as his strongest one. I'm to, not, to I mean, like Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Okay, very, yeah. It's one yeah. of the 50th greatest yeah. film ever made. I mean, you just go, right, okay, number one, Empire Strikes Back. Right. The Godfather, good film. Was, okay. Mm. So you've got The Dark Knight. I, I don't think it was. I don't think Godfather was that great. My brother absolutely loves it, but I just thought, what? Well, I'll tell you what, I thought it was good because I watched it for the first time about two months ago. Okay, Shawshank Redemption, it's okay. You read the book. A lot more interesting than the film, but um, Pulp Fiction was a good film. No, it okay. wasn't. I, I watched two it. thirds of it. <laughs> no, it was a clever film. It was well. It was put together. The storyline was a bit silly, but it was put together. But the Lord of the Rings, right? That's one of the best sleeps I've ever had in the cinema. Ideas <laughs> um, I lost. I mean, I'm just going for it. I mean, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the, it's like. Um, I don't know. You know, like if you had um, a five-star rating on, say, Netflix or whatever, like that type of thing, and you sort of get five-star rating by a certain demographic that would watch those sort of films, and it's that type of thing. It, I mean, what you really need is you need something. You need a uh, a film critic's best fifty films. Yeah, and get get the world's top. 20 film critics from all over the world, including, uh, you know, Bollywood movies and all the rest of it, then put together a universal best 50 films in the world. So, because I think these things should almost like be a film bucket list. You know, these are the 50 films. If you're into movies or into entertainment, these are the films that you should The, the only thing I would say with that, um, Alex, and I was having this conversation with somebody earlier today about music from the point of view of what are the top um, rock um, songs and so on yeah, sure. and there's a tendency for people to vote for what they think they should vote for rather than necessarily what they like I mean you know but you need to have an argument also this is this is also one of those things that need debating I mean you could pick a film in here the one that we've all watched and we, we, at first we'll go yeah it was fairly good you know if we pick a you know one that's supposed to be an intelligent film you know one of these films that you think oh yeah if i say i've watched citizen kane yeah i mean that makes me look really good now citizen kane was okay you know it was i mean that's what it was it was okay that i mean awesome world's made better films the third man you know i think that was far better than citizen kane but you know it's horses for courses how can you say i don't know a populist movie like um sound of music I have never seen it, but my wife really loves it. My younger boy really loves it. And I reckon there's probably more people on this planet that really love um, watching Sound of Music than Die Hard 1988. But this is exactly the point. It's the genre that there's so many films, particularly at the top of that chart, that are the same sort of genre, that it cannot possibly be a definitive 50 greatest sure. movies because it's, as you, as, as you described, it's people with a certain interest, all of the same interest, yeah. that have come up with that list. If you had one or two like that, but there was a balance of all sorts of different genres, yeah. it would be far more believable. You know, I mean, this, this is almost make... like a list 
Sorry. Carry on. Carantine. This is almost like a list you'd get if, um, you know, if, say, SFX magazine compiled a top 50, because there's so much sci-fi in there, you know, and they'll include the fantasy as well. Mm. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know what? I'm I think shocked Avengers Assemble is anywhere near that. Yeah, I think know. I think it would actually make a good running TV series. You know, it would have to be a late night. You know, only certain <laughs> people would be interested. Maybe even BBC Four. But I reckon it would be quite good to have like a. You know, every Sunday in the morning we have like the political debate programs, and you know, you know, does God really drive a Yamaha type questions? I mean, oh great! But I think it would be a really interesting. You know, run it for a year as a whole project for a whole year, and say, okay, we are going to sit down and we are going to argue until we have managed to convince each other, almost like a jury in a courtroom, that we are going to get the definitive best list not you know the grumpy old people that have got a problem and they say you yeah. and you always get the kids you know someone that i don't know once did blue peter on these programs and they're talking about some scene in some film or some program that was done 20 years before they were born and they're pretending they remember it like it was yesterday now what we need is some people to sit there or get all the critics that ever come on tv and they sit there and they argue and then they for the first six months, they sit there and they go, right, these are the ones that are going to be in the top 50. And then for the next six months, they sit there and argue and put them in order. I think that would be really interesting to watch, rather than the load of people I've never heard of telling me about something. And then you, oh, yeah. and you stick them in a room and you don't let them out until they have black smoke or white smoke, like yeah. do when you let the Pope, because they've been then, there for years arguing then, it. And then someone like Netflix, it would be really good for them to have. And then they could have a pass to the 50 greatest films as voted for by the Netflix people locked in the room for a year until they came up with the right answer yeah. thing. I think I'd, I'd pay for that. You I'm could, not even I'd sure if you got the net, if it was just a Netflix list that that would be a definitive list. You'd probably come up with a similar sort of list. Yeah, but the thing is, you, you know, you need somewhere that you can actually then gain access to watch these films because it's your bucket list of movies. You could do it on loads of is, topics. I just noticed, by the way, you say that The Godfather was number two. The Godfather Part Two is number 15. Are you telling me that both those films <laughs> are in the top 15? Come on. Mm. You're never going to get a, a list of films, of greatest films of all time, because my list of greatest films of all time will probably have a lot of Star Trek in it. Alex's will probably have a lot of old films in it. Tone's will probably have Ghostbusters somewhere in it. <laughs> all 78 and versions. Have, uh, and yours will... Sorry? On, I, this, is, this should be interesting. Mine what? will have... Um, I don't know. You haven't been on the show enough times recently. <laughs> but we'll have to. That's it's it. bound to be really violent. Well, that's uh, why yeah, I wanted you know to see like. what. That's why I wanted to see what you got. It'll say. be a load of uh, war films starring uh, who did True Grit. I've forgotten his name now. Uh, John Wayne. Yeah, it'll be a load of John Wayne films and no. spaghetti westerns. That no. kidding. No. I mean, I agree. I agree about things like The Shawshank Redemption. That's one of my favourite films of all time. Uh, Star Wars. Uh, as I've said many times before, it probably get me in trouble. I'm done with Star Wars. I think um, Jaws never seen it. Inception, that's a good film. Goodfellas, mm-hmm. that's a good film. Fight film, Fight Club, that's a good. They're all yeah. Back to the Future, that's classic. I I I don't like taking films and saying right, you you are number one. You are the best film of all time. You have everything. Mm-hmm. There is everything the medium has to offer is available in you know. Star Trek 2, Electric Boogaloo. But yeah, but it's like saying, oh, one day I'm going to watch Shinder the List, and after that I'm going to watch Casablanca. It's like, mm. yeah, I, I think the mood thing may be important with this. Mm. 
No, I mean, I, I quite like it on the grounds of it's so easy to rip to pieces. It is. This list. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, oh, we're going to sit here and say, oh, I've got to watch all these. I mean, Pan's Labyrinth. I, I mean, the fact that, that I'd vaguely heard of it was quite, I'm I was quite impressed. That, I'm pleased to say that one of my favourite films of all time is in the list. The oh, Breakfast Club. I was actually looking at that when you said it, but I didn't pick it. I've never but, seen The Breakfast Club. Oh, it's a well, fantastic film. It awesome was film. just just before St. Elmo's Fire and that lot came out, wasn't it? Mm. Right, they, these kids don't even know what I'm talking about, no. do they? <laughs> no, they don't. But that was that was the Brat Pack. They they were the they were the I don't know, did they have a Brat Pack type thing anymore? They don't really, do they? Because it's all pop people rather than film people. Not now. anymore. There there was there was talk of um, you know, people like George Clooney and what's oh, he's, his, he's, what's he's his name? Like, he's oh, Married yeah, to Angelina Jolie, what's it, Brad Pitt being the, the yeah. Brad Pat. That that section of people who were actually in Ocean's Eleven, not the original that's one, it, the I remake. Couldn't remember. Yeah, the that's problem. why I yeah. couldn't remember what the film was called. That's what I was thinking of in terms mm. of the Brad Pack, yeah. yeah. But <clears throat> it's, that, that's actually quite interesting. I've just read what they said, and it's absolutely true. It says, Rob Lowe and assorted members of the Brad Pack assembled for detention in a teen comedy that, while impressive, uh, impressive isn't a patch on high school flick Heather's which uh, released three years later. That true. Heathers is a really, really underrated of that genre. But you can't really put the two things together because Breakfast Club was a slightly quirky, you know, it was, it was like, you know, coming of age. Heathers was about killing people. <laughs> you know, um, I've forgotten his name now. Uh, Christian. No, I've forgotten his name. Chris something. No, no, no. He's a bit, <laughs> the, the one that turned up as... Uh, uh, in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, oh, anyway, it really doesn't matter. And uh, Kevin we know Costner. Right. <laughs> I was going to say we're not talking Kevin. It's Costner the one that here, plays Kevin, Kevin Costner's little brother. I've got a Christian in my head. I don't know his name. Not Christian and, Slater. There you go. That'd be oh. the fella. Yeah. And Winona Ryder, of course, just for that fact, that it must be the greatest film ever made because Winona Ryder's in it. But that, that hasn't got anything to do with acting. But yeah, and I'm just looking down this list, and there's a, there's an argument to be made against every film so easily. But you know, what would we have to talk about if we didn't have other people's opinions to belittle? Yeah, I think that this is as Russ <laughs> said. It's very everybody has a different list and a different idea. But I do think as a as a definitive list, you can't take this seriously because it's too yeah. much of the same genre on there. I mean, even even if they'd sort of claimed it as a genre list. You know, it's still debatable then. Yeah. You know, Every list it, is debatable all the time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but a good list has, a, a list to be believable, has to have a balanced list of films in there. Mm. Okay, so right, right. Quickly. I have no idea what mine is. Well, I'll make one up just for the argument. Russ, give me just your number. It doesn't have to be your very favourite film in the world, but if you, if an alien came here tomorrow and there was no what mood you're in type thing, what film would you recommend as a... A really good. This is similar cinematography. This is what filmmaking is. Go and watch that. You'll laugh, cry, whatever it happens. To uh, you are you talking about best film ever made or your favourite? Yeah, film? but you're, you're, yeah, no. What you'd recommend to someone? Um, <clears throat> I don't have can't. a favourite film. <laughs> I have a selection of films yeah, that I go to for it. different mm. things. I don't have a favourite. That's film. the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. I also, got so, different different films for different moods depending on what mood I'm in. Okay. What size popcorn? Size popcorn. <laughs> Always large. Large batch, of course. God. There, yeah. there we go. We have agreement. Excellent. Well, with you know, that. One, one, talking of the popcorn, one of the things that I got ridiculed for in my family was um, when Saving Private Ryan came out. Um, 
I went to see it at the cinema and I went with my parents and I sat there during the opening bit scoffing popcorn while all these people were dying at the sea in you know you know that bit at the beginning of the film. Yeah. My yeah. mother my mother has never let me forget that. Oh dear. Well at least the sound effects were quiet because every time you crunched and there was like a cracking machine come fire, it mixed in with yeah. the background noise. It was a bit uh, tasteless, but it, even so it was Yeah, it was no, but a, if you'd have yeah, got toffee popcorn. Film, I was gonna say cinema cinema happen. popcorn is not what it was. <laughs> no, I know, exactly. Yeah. It's all pretty tasteless. <laughs> Indeed. Right. With that, let's move on to the arcade. BBC Radio pushes video games into a new primetime slot. This story from Polygon.com. BBC Radio is bringing the video game-centric show Game On to a primetime slot, host Adam Rosser told MCV UK. <laughs> Game On previously broadcast during a 2.30am graveyard shift and was only accessible for seven days through the BBC iPlayer following its initial broadcast. The show will now air as part of the company's popular Let's Talk About Tech podcast online. Uh, it's great news for the show and for Five Live. They finally started to listen to my wild protestations, <laughs> said Rosser. Five Live Saturday edition has, with its coverage of tech and web news, established a beachhead that we're able to exploit. Adding Game On... Back to saving Private Ryan again, Indeed, yeah. Adding, adding Game <laughs> On into the stations. Let's talk about tech strand. We'll get the content out to an existing audience and draw in a new cohort of listeners. Now, the only podcast I know, or the only, the only show I know about gaming that was called Game On... Was a uh, was the short-lived Game On podcast produced by the Twit Network? Now, this is not the same thing. No, this is this is actually something that I've I've listened to many times on my night shifts. Is it good? Because it's in the middle of Five Live. Yeah, it's it's good. It's a little half-hour slot that they put into a dear up all night sort of overall show. Um, I always wonder why it was never actually released as a separate podcast because there are often other little bits that are released. You know in that format like um, Outriders used to be which is, was about the web you know and that's just finished and this hasn't been on for a while and I was wondering why um, so this, this is obviously the answer indeed you know. this is this is ga- video games and gaming moving into a prime time slot mm, from from yeah like it says well it's, it's slightly inaccurate it's 3am it was used to be on right so even later it, than it says in the in the polygon yeah um, exactly piece. it's still it's still only a very limited audience you're going to get people working like me at, at that time yeah and, you know. or people sitting on their xboxes because they've got nothing better to do well indeed that's really cool. Right. You know, morning, I, yeah. I actually got really confused actually because Game On. When you said, "Oh no, they're bringing back Game On," I was quite excited because there used to be a, <laughs> a comedy a with Samantha Janis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what and I was, I was like. Oh, that well. was quite funny. That yeah. was. Yeah, it was. A t- it was. Yeah, a sitcom, wasn't it? Yeah, and I was like, oh, well, that's nice to know they're bringing back Game On. And then you started talking about games, and I got a little bit depressed. No. <laughs> I'm going to have to go and watch my 50 greatest films now just to cheer myself indeed, up. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, Alex, I mean, we all know you're an ardent gamer. At some I point, am. At some point, I'll stop making these silly jokes. But um, No, please don't. Are you going to be even remotely interested in this? Is gaming something that you're going to be... Right, here you go. Looking? This is always what blows you out of wall water when I've actually got a cogent point oh to dear, make. Oh, here right? we go. Right. But I have two boys, and, you know, boys being younger, they play games. And uh, being young boys in modern day, they don't tend to go outside to play games. They sit there and they exercise their thumbs and various things. Well, this games. was going to be my next point, but carry on. They seem... I say seem. They seem to have access to all the gaming information they ever want because YouTube seems to be absolutely full 
of gaming videos, run-throughs, advice, talks, chat. I mean, I don't know what... If you went, uh, YouTube, what is the most... I mean, we're not talking about things that are nicked off films or things that are ripped off telly and then put on YouTube. Home-created content. I imagine, other than maybe cats falling off chairs, the second highest thing must be game playthroughs and various other things. So um, the only thing I can suggest, they should do what they do, but then they should do what um, I think BBC Click, the tech show, does, mm. is they've got a section at the end which basically tells you other places to go on the internet and look at what they've just talked about, but in greater detail because somebody else is talking about it on YouTube. That's, that's exactly what they do in, in this slot usually it's like you know they will talk about a story that appeared somewhere else you know much like we're doing and oh, then God, it, they'll say that <laughs> yeah but no it's you know it's, it was a good mix of sort of you know they had previews of upcoming games interviews with developers you know reviews once a game eventually did come out you know it was a I mean, I only see the point of playing a game because I could just sit there and watch the entire thing played in front of me and I could get 100% every time because someone else is doing it. Yeah. But, yeah uh, and all you have to do is sit back and, yeah. Sit back and feel like I've killed the alien myself. Mm. But, you know, it, 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 it's sort of a good thing because it, I mean, one of the things about, you know, Radio Radio Live 5, five Live and BBC and the rest of it, I think it's fairly important because, I mean, you're not talking about a great big show. You're not talking about it being, uh, you know, prime time every day of the week like the news or anything. But, you know, there's a sufficient amount of people in this country that are into gaming. Why not give them a place, a show, a something that isn't at three o'clock in the morning to sit down and listen to it? Mm. And, you know, I don't think you're going to get many 13-year-olds listening to Radio 5 Live game on no. show, but you're going to get plenty of I don't know, dare I say it, people like Tone that, you know, could find things better to do in their life, but they choose not to and they want to play games and that's very, that's fine. And you'll maybe one day you'll find a girl and all that change. But until then, you want to enjoy yourself and why not? I think it should be made more accessible and, you know, the BBC is for everyone. It's for every section of society, you know, whatever your religion, your creed, your orientations or everything and gamers they definitely. It's weird because the if you look at the the money that's produced by games, so therefore the amount of people that play it on mainstream television, I've seen one weird advert that seems to pop up. I can't even remember what channel it is. And there's a boy and a girl, and they tend to be trying. They seem to be trying to be funny in a slightly MTV way. It's only an advert, see, and it's some sort of gaming program. And I'm I'm actually quite surprised that a lot of these. 500 million channels that you get on your satellite and your Virgin and, and your Freeview, there isn't more of a, you know, an orientated music and gaming. You'll get music channels that have the odd gaming program. I'm actually surprised there isn't more, which is an actual channel yeah. dedicated to it. I mean, I mean, you used to get sort of more gaming shows on main, what you call mainstream TV. You got a lot of that in the 90s, but not so much now, really. I don't know. I think it's a different. Sure I think as as uh, as the problems that Twitter have had with their um, game gaming show, it's a different animal from what you know a lot of other tech shows. And I don't know. I don't think anyone's actually found the successful formula that makes it work. I mean, my ne- yeah. my nephew lives listens to a lot of gaming podcasts, but I haven't got a clue what he listens to. Um, I mean, there's a lot. I don't think there's anything that's dominated that era out there. Yeah, yeah. it's you. It seems to be the best sort of arena 
that has been found for that. I mean, even like CBG, you know, they do various strands on it, you know, with future publishing across many YouTube channels, you know, where it's like it's playthroughs, it's, you know, upcoming stuff. It's, you know, with, with GTA 5, they were live streaming the game, you know, so you could watch them playing as a massive group, you know, things like that. I think the only the only podcast that I've well yeah the only shows that I've heard about gaming that have worked are podcasts and generally the gaming aspect is a segment like on the old um, the old totally rad show they used to have a segment mm. on games um, yeah. on um, you know there's I think there's um, there's pod I mean like us we have a section called the arcade it's on gaming yeah. we couldn't do an entire podcast on gaming no. <laughs> No. There are people who try, but you know, yeah, they're yeah. you know. Um I mean you used to have even even Sky One at one point had a thing called Gamesville where it was sort of in a studio, they'd have challenges between say two members of the audience, mm. they'd have a section on cheats and tips for games. That sounds a lot you know, like Games Master and you know you remember in the early nineties. Yes, it was sort of a very much like Games Master where they tried to make it more hip for a modern or you know, all this because Games Master was was all console games and things, wasn't it? Yes, it was, and this that this was pretty much the same. It it was, yeah, because this was after Games Master ended, really. Because at the time, I had an Amiga, so Games Master wasn't much use to me. Right, next up, Elite Dangerous opens up premium beta to 10,000 more players. This story also from Polygon.com. A $150 premium beta will offer access to Elite Dangerous for 10,000 more people, Studio Frontier Developments announced. The premium beta phase on Friday with all of the major features that were added to the Elite to Elite Dangerous in its four preceding alpha phases. Uh, participation in the premium beta is available and costs $150. Buying in will give a player a lifetime, exp- a lifetime expansion pack as well. The immediate focus is on testing the systems and servers with a step change in numbers using a rebalanced game based on feedback and information from the recent alpha builds, Frontier Development said in a news release. The 10,000 new players will be trading, pirating and bounty hunting in five different star systems (laughs) covering 200 cubic light years of space. Uh, We're looking forward to continuing the collaboration with the extended community during the beta phase as we deliver greater scale, richer content and even higher quality. Frontier CEO David Breven, creator of the game and of predecessors elite and frontier said in an announcement so tone 150 dollars for the premium beta Ooh, you, this is thinking? because i didn't buy is this because i didn't buy into the kickstarter yeah this yeah there, i'm sure there will be people who miss the kickstarter who might think that's you know because i'm sure in the kickstarter itself there were higher you know donations made there were well the kickstarter raised nearly two million pounds and and in total because if i look at my elite dangerous um backers area that i've Mm. that i'm i've got access to um they've they've raised three million (laughs) three million pounds pounds Mm. three million you know real real money (laughs) (laughs) as opposed to that thingy over the uh, over the pond that's As opposed to that. halfway between the two yeah, yeah the crossed out s yeah, um, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. twice in some cases indeed um so i will get access to the standard beta 
um, when it comes out. But this this premium beta, it, they seem to be uh, with with Elite Danger saying, okay, we're doing this premium beta. You miss the Kickstarter, but if you give us one hundred and fifty dollars, then we can you know we can yeah. let you in. That that's all it does seem to be. Yeah, it's a way in a way in for people who missed the Kickstarter for yeah. whatever reason the first yeah. time. Yeah. Um, it's a, a fairly steep price, although like I say, I know bigger donations were made by individuals yeah. for it. Yeah. Sarah, did you ever play Elite? No, you must you must have done. You're kidding? No, I'm not a game player at all. Oh, you mean well, you never... actually, I, I think I start. Um, Oh God, what's it called? Uh, Space Invaders. When I was at college, oh, right. Um, I just don't, I'm not very good at rea- I don't have fast reactions, so I don't tend to play. I've never really been into games. I'm more uh, um, things where you can take your time and think about it. So chess and things like that. If I'm playing games, or though I have actually played things like Bejeweled and stuff like that, but I'm not very good at it because again, I'm got fast reactions. So um, sorry. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. No problem, Alex. You must have played. Yeah. You must have played Elite at least once in your life. I'm racking my brains to even remember what it's about. Oh, okay. I've got a feeling I have witnessed this happening in front of me at some point. Have you? It was, was it on an Amiga? It could have been. Could have been. Oh, for, could have been Frontier, which was Elite Two. I played the living daylights out of that thing. I had to make a backup copy of the disc so I didn't wear out the original. Well, when you were going on about premium beta, the only thing I could think is I've got an egg beta. Yeah. But um, I want to know, right, and this is almost serious, but knowing me, obviously, it's not 100% serious because, quite frankly, I don't give a damn. But why would anyone pay $150 for a game of any sort when if you wait, it's bound to be released on Xbox, PlayStation, Windows, Mac, iOS, whatever? You probably get it for £1.99 on iOS in six months. Mm. I have considered this. Because I and really then you woke up and realised yeah, what the hell am I thinking? Most, of? but well, I really want to play the game. Really, really you know want to play. Now the I game. know how people. It's make about being there first, isn't it? It is about <laughs> being there first. It's about it's about the thought, the feeling of being oh, special. God. It's I, I'm, I'm, exact, I'm exactly with you, Alex, on this. Everything you were saying, I'm, I'm thinking as you were saying it. But if, if my 10-year-old, soon to be 11-year-old, came and said it to me, I'd sit him down quietly and have a conversation about £150 to play a game is a little bit silly, right? And I'm thinking, right, okay, and I'll probably be able to explain to him and he'd walk away going, yes, Daddy, you're right. And now I've got two so-called adults sitting here going, well, I think I'd like to do that. And my whole life has just flashed for me thinking I've been so wrong here my parenting skills must be useless £150 to play something that doesn't work properly and it's a game yes but it's a very good looking game and it's elite okay I'm going to call something I'm going to make super duper blooming marvellous game no, no. you're using the word elite like I'm, I'm going to call it the super elite I'm going to call it just, the best of the best it's just spin. That's all it is. It's yeah, but if you get the right just... turbo-boosting throttle or things, you can probably stop that. I'm looking at a picture, and it reminds me of the type of game that you used to get for nothing on a free CD that used to come with things like the Amiga Gamer or the uh, ZX Spectrum User's Guide. It looks like one of these, you know. You pay four ninety nine for a magazine and you get loads of trials, but there's one full game on there and it looks as bad as that. Uh, no, Elite, Elite Dangerous does not look bad. Maybe you're looking well, the at the picture I'm thing. looking at. It looks 
just like so, so probably looking at the original you might be looking at the original yeah russ and tone for the benefit of myself and alex and any of our listeners who aren't like familiar normal. with it would you would you like to explain what it is that it might make this game so wonderful that you might want to get your hands on it and spend 150 bucks on it tone i'll let you start <laughs> um, well, I, I've not actually said I would spend this. <laughs> to be fair, no, no, no. I'm you just know, trying to understand. I'm, I'm what just the saying game it is. is a way in. I'm just. It's um. Uh, it's, a, it's a long time since I've played it. I'm sure Russ, you. Yeah. You do a better job with this. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're both. You're really persuading me so far. No, I think it's it's. I think the reason it's um. The the reason it's become popular. Uh, this is goes to it, court. I want separate lawyers. Is mate. This- <laughs> Is that uh, elite? It holds a place in um, in in British gamers' hearts, let's say, um, because it, it you booted it up on your BBC Model B or whatever. You yeah, had. but what did the game and do? It's well, what it what it it allows you to you basically you travel space and you, and you shoot stuff. You uh, you you can either be a pirate or you can be a trader. You can go on missions, okay. all, all that right. kind of stuff. It's an open world thing. Mm. Okay. Right. Okay. It's like Minecraft for the violent. The the very first open world game I think there ever was. If Mm. if um, if if I'm if I'm right. Well, I'm I'm convinced. You will be. You will be. Let me go and pawn some jewelry, (laughs) jewelry, so I can go and buy a a hundred and fifty dollar. Oh, it's cheap. It is fifty dollars. It's not pounds. No, it's two hundred fifty dollars. It's about that's about two pounds fifty. Wow, two (laughs) hundred cubic light years of space. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's almost a whole floppy disk worth. There was a time when you could just move the decimal point. So let's call it fifteen bucks. Yeah, Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, let's do that. Well, I'm Great very story ex- there. I'm very excited about about Elite Dangerous, and and you you see the tweets that we get defending me, Alex. Yeah. You'll then then you'll have egg on your face, right? What? Well, both what, of them. Let's v- <laughs> both your mum and your dad. No, neither of them are on Twitter. <laughs> what have we been watching, reading, playing, or listening to? Tone. We shall start with you, sir. Um, the ma- main thing this week, I think, was the finale of Agents of Shield. Um, yeah, which was on Friday, I think it was. If you watched it live, but I watched it on 4OD as I have been the whole series. Is it worth um, watching? Do you think? Yes, and it sets up what is reported to be a second series that's been confirmed, yeah, rather well. And it, it sort of finished off the the nice build it's had since the mid-season break, where it you know it had that sort of massive improvement in many eyes. Although I, I thought it was good from the start, but yes, it really did improve. You know, towards the end there, um, and it you know it's still tying in nicely with the films. You know, Captain America, and and so on. Um, so yeah, if you if you have been watching the series so far, um, stick with it. You know, up to this finale, then it's got you know cliffhanger into the next season. Um, and another thing I've been watching, uh, it's, it's actually on iPlayer. It's um, people just do nothing. And what it is, it's it's one of these, you know, BBC Free is sort of shifting to iPlayer um, only. This is like one of the first premieres of a sort of comedy thing on there. And it's uh, it's like a mockumentary type thing, you know, sort of like 2012, The Office. But it's, it's based around a pirate radio station in Brentford. <laughs> so it's sort of, you know, urban, you know, Javi types basically and it's following them around sort of yeah it could have almost been set in 
you know, most most urban parts of South London, I suppose, but they chose particularly Brentford. You know, it's sort of about this this state uh, urban pirate station called Corrupt FM, and the people that run it <laughs> and people surround. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's, it's it's sort of quite quite funny. Um, you know, it's, it, like I say, it's one of the first things they've done with where it's premiere on the iPlayer. Um, I think it's actually going to be on like BBC Two in September. Um, but yeah, worth a look. I think. Yeah, like I say, it's it's their first try at this sort of online premiere for something that would be on BBC Three normally. Um, and then the other thing is uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is the fourth, I think, fourth of those. Because um, I, I kind of lost track you know, when they did the third one. It must be time which to reboot. Which I hated. It? <laughs> yeah, it must be time to start it again. No, it was a reboot, but wasn't it? You have to reboot the reboot. All, it's, yeah, it's almost like it was, yeah. Because I mean, out of these films, I noticed it was J.J. Abrams, um, you know, his company and, you know, his Bad robot. production on it. Yes. And, you know, him directing it. And that, that really showed, I'm afraid. Um, the Instagram yeah. of filmmaking. Almost. Yeah. I mean, even the opening, the opening sequence, it reminded me of, it pretty much could have been put on J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. You know, that sort of zooming into things, you know trying to be flash but failing um i mean out of the mission impossible films i still think the second one was the best the john woo directed one and they've tried to replicate that but they've failed i think you know what i think i think they've done it in a way they've always tried to replicate the bond franchise <clears throat> the That's fact that pretty much yeah but it's the way they get in a different director and he has his idea then they get another director and he does his thing and it's like yeah it's not based on the strong enough philosophy in the first place to do this thing. It's okay if you do two or three really good films and then you might be able to franchise it off, but you'd normally franchise it off as a TV show. Yeah. And they've gone, you know what? Let's forget about actually having a backbone here. Let's just go for the finale. And it's never worked. No, at this point it's a Tom Cruise vehicle. (laughs) Really? I mean, I mean, his Robin Reliant. Even in the credits, before Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams came up, it said it's a Tom Cruise production. Oh, dear. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, the first one, the first of these these films of it, you know, with Tom Cruise, you had Brian De Palma directing the first one. And that was a you know, reasonable film. The second one, John Woo, it had that sort of certain style of action about it. You know, it was just meant to be action. It wasn't meant to be trying to copy Bond or anything. Whereas these these last two, yeah, they felt like it's J.J. Abrams' attempts Bond with an American. If he was any good, he'd get Bond then, wouldn't he? Pretty much. (laughs) Oh, don't don't give me nightmares. No, quite, quite. Basildon Bond. No, there we go, there we go. As in James Bond. Yes, yes. Shaken, not, um, not in, not over. Not lens flared. Right. Well, we're going to do me next, and uh, what I have been playing on the uh, on the iPhone is Two Dots, which is the sequel to Dots. It's a charming little game. Uh, it expands on the uh, on the sort of the puzzle element of the original. It's got a really nice soundtrack, and it's and it's just it's it's a nice little game. It's not um, it's not offensive in any way. It doesn't have any. Uh, it's not violent. It's just a bit of fun. And it's, you know, it's really, it's just just nice. You don't get many games like that anymore. 
Is, no. it, is it sort of like Monument Valley? A little bit. I mean, Monument Valley's yeah. not... Um, that, it's, it's, that's not violent or anything like that. No. That's a relaxing game to play. Two it, Dots is a relaxing yeah. game to play. Yeah. I mean, so you, eventually you're going to build up to a whole dice. Eventually. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing about Monument Valley, I thought that was too quick. You know, I can finish it in... I, I thought I finished it too quickly considering it was a game I paid for. But yeah, well, yeah, you're on Android. You're not used to paying for anything. Oh, burn! <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, moving swiftly on. The next thing on my list is the best Marigold uh, Hotel soundtrack by Thomas Newman. I think I brought this up when I when I said I'd uh, listen, I'd uh, watch the film in the first place. It's a great soundtrack. It's it's got a bit of an Indian uh, Indian edge to it. I've been uh, doing a lot of uh, a lot of walking recently, and it's an it's a nice walking soundtrack. It's just nice to listen to, and of course it goes. Um, it goes well with the sound of the birds and things like that, especially if you're walking in the sticks, as I usually do. And the last thing on my list is the Diablo Show. This is a yeah, it's a podcast from um, from Frog Pants. It's uh, Scott Johnson and friends. He gets uh, he gets various people on who are. Um, who are in the know as far as Diablo goes? For those of you who don't know what Diablo is, it's a uh, it's Should a game toy with string. No, it's <laughs> it's a game by uh, the sticks. same people who made uh, no. It's a game by the same people who made World of Warcraft and the Warcraft series. Um, it's 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 on its uh, third in iteration now. It's just mm. had a uh, just had an expansion put out. It's it's a fantastic. Um, story and and um sort of ever continuing stream of uh, narrative and uh scott johnson's diablo show is very very good i heartily recommend it for anyone who plays the game alternative you get two straight sticks and a thing that looks like a big egg timer and you flip it up in the air and you catch it again that's a diablo is it oh yeah oh you're saying diablo this is a diabolo diablo i didn't say diabolo did i i no, said diablo yeah, but Diablo is how you say it when you say it quickly. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. God, I can't believe these kids. What They'll the pay 150 quid to play a game of a leap, but they don't know what Diablo is. <laughs> you used to get court jesters and things throwing them oh. up in the air and catching them again. I've never seen one. Sarah! <laughs> can't believe Sarah, it. what is on your list? Um, I, one of the things I watched, uh, actually, I think it was on... Um, might have been on a week ago, and I watched it on Friday, I think, was the um, Harry Enfield and Paul, I can never remember his surname, um, tribute. That's it, yes. Their tribute to BBC Two on, I don't know if any of you saw it. Yeah, it was um, terrifically it was, good. I, th- I thought it was great, uh, particularly um, the Simon Sharma impression, which was sort <laughs> of good, the yeah. character that was introducing it. There was lots of um, spoof characters, but there was lots of also well-known people where they'd slightly changed the name um, and they were spoofing the character and it was sort of people from how BBC Two was created and how it was set up and the people that ran it and people that ran the various different departments and um, was it Johnny Oxford Cambridge I think was my favourite yeah, ca- everybody character was called version of Oxford <laughs> but, Cambridge but, um, but yeah no, I thought it was really good I thought they, I thought they did that really well actually so um, um, yeah there's a few people on there I thought yeah a bit too close to home but <laughs> 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 but yes it was very good and um, 
Yes, um, I, I, as I think I was saying earlier, I, obviously I'm interested in politics and economics and stuff. So I was watching the uh, local election stuff overnight, which is a bit sad, I know, but um, oh, you know, it's always interesting an to see interest in the, yes, in the well-being yes. of our of our country, and it's. Uh... Yeah, well, I wouldn't say it was done out of duty. I can assure you, it was more out of the fact that I was. It's always Ridicule. interesting to see how um, you know how they can how they can um, particularly at a. Two or two thirty in the morning when there's not a lot going on. See what David Dimbleby's got to say. At one point, he was talking about he's, he's a fan of Torquay United or something. It was a football club or something. I don't know, but which I didn't know about. But uh, not that I particularly needed to know that. But but yeah, I know it was interesting and um, I think a fairly predictable result as we thought. So um, yeah, Torquay yeah. nil. That's quite predictable. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Um, but the, 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 the other thing I'd mentioned as well, um, it's not, this is not something I've come across before. It's very different um, from his normal stuff. But um, I know, and again, I know it's not new, but it's new to me. I, I didn't know anything about this until a couple of days ago. And I've now listened to the whole thing. Um, it's a book um, about, Jeff, uh, about George Mallory um, by Geoffrey Archer called Path to Glory. Path of Glory. Path, oh, right. I think it's Path to Glory, which is about, it, it's completely, uh, I mean, I, I guess that some of it may well have been, I don't know how well he's researched it, but it's it's about his life, basically, and about um, how, what happened on that final assault on Everest in 1924, and what led up to that and everything, including, you know, the interesting story about how he missed his interview for, um, his uh, place at Cambridge and he scaled the wall to get over because the bursar had been told not to let anyone in after three o'clock which was the interview time and it was how he actually managed to persuade them to actually let him in when they saw how well he could climb which was interesting but but yeah no it was it was it was very interesting I, I personally I didn't really know a great deal about George Mallory um, he was actually one of the most interesting of the mountaineers at the time Yes, yeah, and I, I found myself actually while I was reading it because I thought, I don't know, that name rings a bell. I thought it, when I first got it, I thought it was a, I thought it was a, I thought it was normal fiction. I didn't realise. Now I thought, hang on, George Mallory, I know that name. So, uh, you know, when looked him up on Wikipedia, and of course, then by then I was just following the week using the Wikipedia entries. I was going through the story and realising it was all true. Um, but it was very, it was very interesting. And as Alex said, it was he was an interesting character. Um, I mean, I've done a lot of work on the Mallory uh, exhibition because I, I do a lot of work for the Royal Geographical Society. And right. I've been sort of working. So, I, I, you know, th there's a lot. If you're interested in Mallory, there's a lot more academic books, should we put it there, politely? It's not, on it's, the not subject. Some, it's not something I'm massively interested in, but it was, it's good to have, a, you know, a good understanding of, of how, uh, how good he was. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about it as well, it was at a time where photography, which is the way I'm into it, uh, had got to a point and at that point where the plates and everything were physically movable and they were able to develop on the side of the mountain and things like that. Mm. So it was properly documented rather than just in drawings and paintings. Yeah. So it's like the first attempt at ascent on um, Everest where basically the whole thing was properly written down photographed you know all the information was there mm. you know from you know from the beginning to the end i don't want to spoil the end yeah. but uh yeah so anyone that knows Mallory knows how it ended um you know 
Well, I was going to I was going to say one of one of the things that I f- that I find fascinating. I mean, I'm not massively into it, but if people are like conspiracy theories, you should yeah. you should definitely read about this because because it is it, you know it's a bit more than just the the grassy knoll and all that. It, there's there's a real story to you know what happened, which we will we'll probably never know. So yeah, um, I mean they they were very 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 close to the top. 800 feet. Yeah, I mean, you know, they were in spitting distance. Obviously, you couldn't because it would have frozen as it came up. But, um, yeah, it is a very interesting story. And it, uh, I, I, I've got to admit, I, back in the day, I did read some uh, Jeffrey Archer stuff. And some of the short stories were okay because they were the ones he didn't claim to have written. They were the ones that he said on his travels, he was spoken to, people told him word-of-mouth stories, and he wrote them down. They were great. I just, um, yeah, I find it difficult to read very much by him and take anything he says seriously, which is wrong because, you know, he's entitled to research, he's entitled to do all these things, but as far as I'm concerned, the man's burnt too many bridges for me to take it seriously. Yeah, I am, I'm one of these people that I can't stand him as a person, but I think he writes, <laughs> he writes, a, he, he writes amazing books. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sitting there tiptoeing around so I don't offend you, and it turns out you hate him as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, since that court case, um, I, 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 you know, definitely had no time for the guy. Well, um, what's um, interesting is, like, Mallory actually went to Cambridge, whereas um, Archer just claimed to. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's the end of the Jeffrey stuff on your, of your list then, Sarah? Um, yes, I, I, I mean, I, I, there's a, I, don't, I don't watch a massive amount of television. I tend to um, see what's on, and if there's anything I want to watch, great. Um, then I watch it, and if not, then I don't. I listen to a lot more radio, um, and um, particularly talk radio I like listening to. Um, I found a, good, a really good station over here that plays um, 80s, and, 80s and 90s music during the day and has a fantastic um, talk show host. Um, in the evening. Well, tell us where he is, because yeah. as you know, the rest of the world can listen to more or less any radio station now. So what radio station is it? It's called Classic Hits 4FM. Classic Hits 4FM. There you go. There's a big out for them. All seven of our listeners, go and Indeed. listen to Classic Indeed. Hits 4FM. <laughs> there we go. Right, Alex, what is on your list, sir? And don't forget, I need to know what you think of a certain film we discussed on Twitter. Right, I will start off with a certain film we discussed on Twitter. Uh, um, which is a best marigold, marigold hotel. Now, I watched this a couple of weeks back, and I think we didn't do a show that week, so it sort of went by the by. Um, I actually, I really enjoyed it for on quite a few levels, actually. It was well acted. It was a nice story. The characters you didn't like, they didn't get their comeuppance, but you got rid of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, certain characters you did like, and you had sort of affection for... Uh, they ended up okay. It wasn't like, oh, you know, everyone's going to be happy and everyone's going to be great, but they'll be all right. You know, they'll be okay. And, you know, it was sort of almost honest in that approach. And, okay, just a very quick synopsis. It's a guy who's inherited a hotel from his father and his father was a big dreamer in somewhere in India. I can't remember where it was, but it was in India, okay? And... He doesn't get any customers for this place, so he decides the best thing to do is set it up as a hotel for British elderly people that can't afford to live comfortably in England. What they do, they come over and they live in this hotel there, and he will look after them. 
So it's the best Marigold Hotel, and it's basically for British expats without a lot of money of retirement age, and that's how it works. It's run down. It's a shambles. Half the people want to be there some of the time. Most of the people don't want to be there, but they couldn't think of any other choice, and they were all taking this great risk at the end of their lives, if you like, and um, that's the basis for the story. What I really enjoyed about it, though, is... It had a really nice feel of modern India against old India. The, the modern India thing was actually quite... It was very respectful to the old ways. It was very respectful to the people. And everyone in there was respectful to most people. Of course, you had the cliche, you know, white, poor, working-class English people are racist. you know. And thankfully, they dealt with that and got rid of it towards the end of the film. And that made me slightly uncomfortable because, well, you know, why did it have to be the poor white person that was a racist? You know, I mean, mm. it happens, but, you know, knock the cliche on the head. But there were some really nice, you know... Signs of modern India, but I'm not saying oh India should modernise is something wrong with. Of course there isn't, but it's not something as you know Western as we ever really hear about. We overhear about you know you know old India or modern India, but it's still with the old attitudes, and it it showed both sides. It showed young people with you know get up and go and a little bit of cheekiness and a little bit of naughtiness and a little bit of you know you get he, he got up and went you know it was more than that you know it was i enjoyed it it was a nice film the ending was a bit predictable but it was the ending i wanted so good you know and it was full of good acting it was full of sort of nice cozy old people and lots of young pretty people and it was a nice film I enjoyed it and I'm really glad you uh, advised me to watch it if you've got a couple of hours spare and you want to watch something that's going to make you think a little feel warm at the end of it and be glad you watched a nice little film go and watch The Best Marigold Hotel and I think that might have even been on Amazon rather than Netflix because I can't remember it's on one or the other I have a feeling it's on Amazon it's not on Netflix because I've just had a quick look there you go that'll be Amazon then well anyway once you finish watching it Go and uh, go and listen to the um, the soundtrack, and then gear up <laughs> for the sequel <laughs> because there is a the best Marigold Hotel two, and guess who's in it? <laughs> Richard Gear. They what? did say at the end he wanted to expand the hotel for Americans. Yeah, that yeah. was in the end of the film. It was announced. What? This is back in back on the tenth of January twenty twenty fourteen on the BBC. I just did a search for it. Um, and Richard Gere signed on to appear in the best exotic Marigold Hotel 2. I can see that working, though. It could, probably could, because he's old enough to kind of... It's be- not just he's old enough, he's smooth enough to pull it off. Mm. You know, he, he plays an older man. He's a bit like um, Harrison Ford. He plays the older man that age isn't an issue. He's just cool, he's laid back. He, he's basically the older man we all want to end up being. Yeah. But, but it's, um, it's still going to be, uh, you know, Dame Judi Dench and Bill Nye, so and Dev Patel well, as well. Well, I hope they they are still living there as opposed to come home and gone back again. Eh? And uh, is um, oh, I've got a name now. It, it seemed like a Downton Abbey reunion actually at, at times, because half of them were in Downton Abbey at some point, if not permanent characters. Um, right. So getting on to the things I have watched. Um, I'm actually trying to watch what Tone's typing in the chat room. It's probably good night. I've got to go to work. And if it is that, why doesn't he just say it? <laughs> anyway, okay. <laughs> right. Oh, look, thanks, guys. Go in. Let me chat soon. Just, Bye, just to let everyone else know. <laughs> uh, uh, he broken the yeah. third wall. 
Bye. <laughs> Bye. Right, Tone. <so>, okay, <laughs> on Netflix, I watched Rock and Chips, which is the sequel to Only Fools and Horses. Um, or it should be the prequel, really, shouldn't it? But I don't know is how that the one with Boise in? No, that was the green, no, green, green grass. No, that's the grass. It's the green, green grass, yeah. This is the one where it was the story more or less of how Rodney came about. It was the story of his mum and various other things. Um, It's... The the point is, the first time I saw the first episode, I was slightly disappointed because I had... You know, how can someone else be playing Del Boy? Well, of course someone else is playing Del Boy because Del Boy's, what, 16 when this starts? 15, 16? He might have been 15. Um, And all the other characters are in it, but they're all played by someone else. The only character that's in it that is from the original is Nicholas Lindhurst, who's actually playing Freddy the Frog, who is Nicholas Lindhurst's real father, which you find out in Fools and Horses, so it's no surprise when you see this. Um, Kelly Bright, I think it is, that plays the mother, isn't it? Joan Mavis Trotter. Um, I'm doing quite well with names tonight. Uh, like I said, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh no, it's not Fools and Horses, it's different characters. But then... I'd, I'd watched all this three of them and I had watched them all previously and there was meant to be a concluding fourth and then John Sullivan died. So the story was left a bit, but when you watch all three of them back, there is a point at the end where it was sort of okay. I mean, I know, you know, John Sullivan died and it wasn't left for that any good reason, but as a, a trio of stories they can sit together as they are and they can end where they are it's okay and so you know at first i was like well, i'm obviously i didn't want john sullivan to die but i was like oh he must have really wanted to finish this but there is a point where you can sit it and go no it's okay where it ended it was all right anyway it's on netflix i really really enjoyed them second time around uh, the characters are as strong played by these actors and the jokes are as funny using these actors as they ever were using the actors that we were used to. And I just found it was just, I had to get over that prejudice of it not being only fools and horses. So, I mean, I went back to this probably two years after I originally watched them and uh, I highly recommend it if you've not seen them before, but don't think of them as, Oh, it's not David Jason and what have you. Think of it as these are loads of really, really fine actors playing really good, funny roles and some really good stories. And if you know Fools and Horses, you know these characters, even though some of them you've never met before. You've never met the mother because she died before, you know. But one of the good things is she didn't die in this, which is obviously what it was intended for the last piece because that's how the story moved to Fools and Horses. But I'm really glad because... I didn't want her to. Didn't need to happen. I know what the future holds for her, but at the moment, she's young, happy, and messing around with Freddy the Frog, and it's good. And everything is good with the world, as they say. So I do heartily recommend that if you're a Fools and Horses fan. You might... I don't know how much you'd get out of it if you weren't a Fools and Horses fan, because I've, I am one, and I'm rose-tinted, so I can't answer that question. Yeah, I am too. But if you've never seen it, it it's... It's worth, it is worth a watch, but don't think of, oh, that's not David Jason. Think, 
That's a fine actor playing a young... See, this is the thing, isn't it? It's a bit like what we were talking about earlier on with Sherlock, if you're a Sherlock Holmes fan. Yeah. Is you have to, you have to put your thinking that everything should stick to the original aside. Yeah, exactly. And that realise that, that, that in this case, they're actually writing a story about something that happened before the time period of original Fools and Horses, and therefore yeah, I mean, it's going to be different. But what's interesting is that with the Fools and Horses, if you know it, every part of this more or less is referenced in Fools and Horses. But you know you know, know what's going on, but you've never seen it. Mm. It's all been anecdotal and various things, and it's just really interesting to have that written for you and acted out in front of you. So very good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. By the um, way, I, go on No, go on, Alex. No, okay. Um, all right, I'll rush through. I've started watching the IT crowd because of, I tried it years <laughs> and years ago and everyone said, there's something wrong with you if you don't like the IT crowd. I, do you know, I've never watched it. Good luck. Well, and I keep, I not because I don't want to, but just because I've never seen, never been around when it's on and, and thought, because I've been, I've been thinking for years, I really should give that a go. Yeah. Um... It's, there's cliches. There's, I don't know, <laughs> sure they're, they're playing up to uh, what they're supposed to play up to. But there are some funny moments. And I'm trying to, it's like all these things, I'm trying to not come to it with any prejudices. Because originally I was like, oh, you know, another, oh, it's not a Big Bang Theory, is it? And then I started watching it thinking, I'm, I'm going to forget about a Big Bang Theory. And no, it's not the Big Bang Theory. It's completely different. And in that respect, it should be given its own chance. So I've got three or four, maybe even five through now. And um, it's a lot more British than I remember it being. It's a bit more, it's almost like, it's almost like that Olympics thing or that BBC thing. It's that slightly anarchic, really, or, uh, you know, it's like um, almost drop the dead donkey weirdness about it. Mm. And it's okay. I mean, I really didn't like it when I saw a couple of episodes previously, but I'd never seen it from the beginning. And I had no sympathy for the characters. And some of the jokes are a bit banal. But, you know, who am I to say what's funny? And, you know, it's, it's what it is. And what's funny is I've seen all those actors now in something else. And the fact that I've seen them in something else makes it easier to watch them in the bits that I feel a bit uncomfortable about in this. So, uh, yeah. I tried watching this. And I'd, I'd, I'll, I'll take Drop the Dead Donkey over this any day. <laughs> no, they're two different things. They are, but yeah, it's just, yeah. it's, There are a few bits about it, but there are a few bits about it that... If this was made in the 70s, I think it would have been funnier. It's almost a bit like... Um, I mean, it's like taking characterizations out of other things and then just maybe making them just a little bit too one-dimensional. But anyway, I'm trying. I will keep going. I know some people absolutely adore this program. Um, but I, I'm, you know, I'm going to do what I say. I'm going to keep with it and I'm going to do my best. Right, finally, and right, I'm going to get it out of the way. The best thing I've seen in a very, very long time. There you go. Here's a, here's a build up. I finally got round to watching Little Voice. Um, right, directed by Mike Herman. That doesn't really help, does it? Right, Jane Horrocks, there you go. Now, what, what made me want to watch this is I, there was a weird program on TV during the week, and I, I have seen it before. It's like a late night sort of, or late night. It's um, a late evening. I don't know how you call it. It's, it's a bit like the old time 
panel games where you have sort of five celebrities and you've got a couple of people, you know, normal public people, and they ask the celebrities what they think the answer would be, and then they get to pick it. It's, a, it's like a remake of something quite horrible back in the day. And I think it was like uh, Rob Brydon was hosting it. And um, and what happened is I went to play press something on iPlayer and my finger slipped and I ended up pressing on this. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to fall asleep anyway, so look, it might as well be boring. Anyway, so I started watching it and it was absolutely terrible. But then Jane, Jane Horrocks came on and I was like, oh no, not Jane Horrocks, don't do this. This is rubbish. Please don't be involved in this. And then she started talking, and it just she just made me smile. The thing about Jane Horrocks, she just has that effect, doesn't she? But in a, a lovely, warm. Oh, I really wish I knew this girl. I'd really wish I could sit there, have a chat with her, make her a cup of tea, and feel great. You know that type of thing. Anyway, she started, and they got her up, and she did a little bit of singing. And I was thinking, I wonder if that's from Little Voice, which I've never seen, and. I went on to uh, Netflix that evening to look for something, and I was just, do you know that when you do the, the finger flick and you're just flicking through pages? And when it stopped rolling, right in front of me was Little Voice. And I went, there's a sign. I'm going to watch this. Anyway, a beautifully, beautifully acted film by absolutely everyone. The horrible characters were horrible, right? Michael Tank, Michael came out. Okay, this is a good, right. You got Jane Horrocks plays the main part, right? You got Michael Caine in there. You got Brenda Bleffin. You got Ewan McGregor and Jim Broadbent. There was a couple of other people in there that I'd seen in other things, so they were fairly famous. And you think, you know, with that, you're gonna have some good acting, right? And you weren't wrong. It's the story of a, a girl that basically doesn't speak. She just whispers in tiny voices, but her whole life is sitting in her bedroom playing records. And uh, at first you don't know this, but she sings along to them and she's learned to impersonate them to such a level that she's an amazing cabaret singer. But she doesn't speak really, she doesn't talk to anyone. The mother is um, sort of a drunken, you know, middle-aged plus tart for want of a nicer way of putting it. You know, that, that just like goes for every guy that walks past and it's a very, very of its time northern town that, you know, off-season nothing goes on and during the season it's just nightclubs and you know cabaret singers and very very strange um, cabaret acts um, Jim Broadbent owns the local nightclub which is basically a terrible dive Michael Caine is a sort of a has-been um, you know booker um, he's never had anyone famous or anything but you know it's just a you know that's what he does and um he starts knocking around with Brenda Bleffin, um, who's a Jane Horrocks' mother in this. Anyway, so as it transpires, here's a booker. He manages to coax her by basically using her dead father as an excuse why she should be doing this. And the whole story basically works from around, works about that her father owned a record store and she was just desperately trying to cling on to the one person that she ever loved because her mother's a bit of a lunatic. And it's about her blossoming. But it's about her sort of mistreatment and then blossoming. And then when she's blossomed, she's not blossoming for herself. She's not blossoming for anyone else. She's doing it for her her father, who she visualizes all the time in black and white because it's the only photograph she ever saw. And it's heartbreakingly wonderful at that point. And she sings so utterly beautifully. But she's singing to her dead father. And she just wanted to do this one gig, this one thing for her dead father to make him proud. Anyway, 
it happens and you know it doesn't go well and then the whole thing ends looks like terribly badly but it, it sort of breaks the spell on her and it frees her a bit and it was just one of those really heartwarming you know the nasty people weren't really nasty they just had a crappy life and they didn't know how to treat people you know she's soft gentle wonderful beautiful sings like a danger and you know she's in herself and won't come out and then so Ewan McGregor's a guy that works with another guy that fits their telephone and he just sees somebody that he can relate to because he's a quiet and all he wants to do is race his pigeons you know it's just a beautiful, pretty, lovely, and if you just want to, you know what, it's one of the few films I'll, I'll actively admit, I was sitting there with a little tear in the corner of my eye at the time thinking, oh, go girl, you know, and I was sort of, you know, you, you would be the proudest father in the world, it wasn't like, you know, it's not like, you know, you want to be her lover or anything, you just want to be her dad or her brother or her best friend, you know, and it made me feel wonderful, and I will watch it again very soon with anyone that wants to watch it with me, and I'll sit there trying to look all manly and not be bothered about it, but it was a beautiful film. Well, work, Alex. No, no, I'm not very manly, we all know that, but it's a beautiful film, and it's not very often I see films which were made, I mean, when it was made, 98, so it's not, by my standards, that's not an old film. And uh, I, I always sort of find an affiliation to films back in the 50s, 40s and 30s because that's where I feel there's a, a warmth and a soul to it. Now, this this young lady, I'm going to call her a young lady, but, you know, th- this girl, Joan Horrocks, she, she's got a warmth and a soul to her that I'd never seen before. And it, it, it comes out in this film and it's a beautiful film. And I, I'm waffling on it. I've got to stop. I, might, I do advise anyone. Yeah, I'll tell you what. If you've got a new girlfriend and you want to impress her, bring her home and say, oh, let's just put a film on it. And even if you're the type of bloke that doesn't want to be seen to be weak and feeble, she will love you if you put this film on. There you go. There's my advice to all the people that would otherwise pick the top 50 films from that list we had earlier. You know? Yeah, don't you want do to that. win favour with a small child? Get them a Diablo. <laughs> and if you want to win favour with a new girlfriend, sit there and watch Little Voice. I must. Have, I must admit, you, you sent me the uh, the Wikipedia link for a, a Diablo, and um, and the the only image they seemed to have of one was a uh, a cartoon drawing of someone using one in the eighteen eighties. Yeah, that's about the last time I. Uh, that's my version of Elite. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> that's the last time I played a game. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Right. Anyway, I quite liked it. I don't know if it came across. No. No, it, did, it, did, it didn't. I think you're going to have to go through it. I reiterate more about Little Voice. I tell you, you've, you've convinced me. It's one of those films... I, I've, I'm, I've got to admit, and I would, I would say it to my mother, at the moment, I am in love with Jane Horrocks. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure she, she won't mind. I mean, neither of them will mind. Well, but, what about yeah. your wife? No, I mean, she'd be quite happy. Well, but I don't think Jane Horrocks would ever lower herself to this level. Well, you never know. <laughs> There's hope. <laughs> There's hope. <laughs> There's hope for you, yes. I tell you what, Alex. That says more. That that that's more insulting to your wife than the fact that you might actually uh, no, she might be interested. No. The fact that you just said that. No, I mean, yes. No, I mean, I've, actually, the hope was for my wife. She might be able to get rid of me. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. Steady. Uh, steady. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ah, that's a show. That, that's a wrap. That's almost a show. It's almost a show. But there's it one. Can't be a show because of, I haven't got my Twitter handle wrong. No, yet. quite. There's one bit left. <laughs> Sarah, where can we find you? 
Um, best place to get hold of me um, is uh, on the Twitter, that's Sarah Jane UK, and also on various shows on the British Tech Network. Mm-hmm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah, it's nice to have you on. <laughs> yes, yes. I think from the conversation that we, Alex and I, had about Sherlock, I think maybe we ought to look at doing something there. We I will. Think. We will. We need to do. We need to do some kind of some kind of special on it. Lots of lots and lots of discussion. Perhaps when the next when the next series comes around or something, we can. We can we can have you on, but we'll have you on before that. I mean, you hope so. You have you have plenty to say, and you say it very well. Thank you, Alex. Where can we find you, sir? Right, um, I'm not looking it up. I promise you. Mm. Very British view. Excellent. That'll be spelled V E R Y British V U. <laughs> no, it's not really. It's view. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I just don't want anyone to. Yeah, V I E W. Because uh, people think I might be doing views in you know, V-U-E. Mm. Anyway, so it's very British view. Um, that's it, really. I did a podcast with someone the other day, but I can't remember what it's called. It was Gazmaz, wasn't it? You did a podcast. Oh, yes, there you go. I can't remember what the podcast is called. Anyway, that was really good. I was brilliant. I was scintillating and really intelli- intelligent. Wow. Even if I say so myself. Well, ah, I have to, because no one else will. What was it called? My Mac. That's what that's I did. One. My Mac. The My Mac podcast. Yeah, that was very good. I, I really enjoyed it. And... Um, yeah, I'll do that again if I'm ever invited. Um, yeah, thanks for having me again. Not a problem, not a problem. We shall have you on next week, sir, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Tone, where can we find you, sir? Um, usual place on Twitter. It's, um, hang on, I've been to username recently, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm as bad as Alex for this. You, so, sir, yeah. just like me, mate. Yeah. Exactly. Um, do you want me to help you out? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's Tone... 7x20 on Twitter because I wanted to get rid of that damn underscore yeah I was going to say that's a it, you were one of the few people I know who still has an underscore in their in their yeah and that's only because someone someone was squatting on my name without it and they Um, literally had ever tweeted uh, why didn't you put another number in there it would have made it easier it would roll roll a bit easier than 7x20 wouldn't it quite possibly yeah I, I don't know I'm just trying out different variations on the theme at the time okay <laughs> <laughs> it was on that spare in a moment thing indeed thank you very much sir and you can find me on Twitter at SF Drummer. That's all we have for this show. If you want to get in touch, drop us a line at airwavesshow at gmail.com or you can leave us a comment at the-airwaves.com. There's also our Google Plus community. If you go to Google Plus, click on the Communities tab, do a search for The Airwaves, you will gain access to all of the exciting stuff that is happening over there. We will return next week with a new episode of The Airwaves. But until then, take care, everybody. Good night. Bye. And someone always does that, so I thought I'd do it for him. Yeah, well, Bye. There you go. Well, Tony <laughs> isn't here to say goodbye, so I'm just going to say bye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> We're just making a sequence, silly noises. Yeah, I know. Let's let's finish. <laughs>